I'm going to preach for a couple hours, and then we'll get out of here. This is like a bad joke. Like pastors tell that all the time. And you still laugh. <laughs> We're going to read a pretty large, um, large swath of scripture this morning. Uh, and I want to do an overview, and then we're going to actually, in the next couple of weeks, dive back in. We've been going through a series in the book of Philippians. Uh, and for those of you who've forgotten, we've talked at the very beginning. The book of Philippians is a book uh, that basically fits into an ancient form of, uh, of, of writing, uh, an argumentation called rhetoric. So a number of scholars, one notable one being Gordon Fee, talks about really the whole book turns on Philippians 127. And if I've already kind of like lost you, like it's way too early to be talking about rhetoric and ancient documents, stay with me. Because the reason why we wanted to do this series and the reason why uh, we chose Philippians and wanted to march through it ever so slowly, we've been doing this since January and this will take us through into the summer, is because Paul loves this church. He's freaking out about them. He loves them. He's in prison. We've talked about how they went and they cared for him. All right, there's no guarantee he would live through prison. There wasn't like a really well-developed like food service system in prison. People were not cared for well. Really, your only chance of survival was having people outside the prison come and hang out with you and be with you. And, and, and he planted this church. He started this community in a city called Philippi, a colony of the great empire of Rome. Right, flashbacks to 11th grade history. And, uh, and Rome ruled the world from England to India. And this city, Philippi, was an outpost of Rome. They were there to uh, basically infuse the values of the, the politics, the way things were run, government, life, food, the culture of Rome. They were there as sort of an outpost. Right? Think of almost uh, of like a... Uh, like, an, like an embassy, if an embassy wasn't about like uh, just being a kind of a safe place for whatever country, imagine an embassy being like evangelistic, like let's spread America. Some people would argue that does happen. But the, that's a political sermon for never. Um, so the, uh, this place, Philippi, uh, they were supposed to be an outpost to be governed by uh, the Caesars and Caesar being Lord. And Paul starts this church, is blessed by them as he's gone around starting other churches and winds up in prison. And he's learning about what's happening there. And he realizes instead of being an outpost of Rome, they are becoming an outpost of, the, of heaven, an outpost of the kingdom, an outpost of the way of Jesus. That they are being like Jesus. They are being generous. They are doing life together. They're being compassionate. They are doing... Uh, doing justice. They are sharing the truth and beauty about who God is. They are embodying more and more and more. So Paul sends this letter to encourage them to keep going. And he says in Philippians 1.27, the verse that this whole piece of rhetoric turns on is live in such a way um, that, that, that you have allegiance to the king, right? Live in a manner worthy of the gospel. Live in light of what Jesus has done, depending on your translation. But it centers back on be this, continue to be this. And so we read in Philippians 3, again, I'm going to take a big swath of scripture, and then in the next couple of weeks, we're going to dive into it. Paul is writing to a group of people who are mixed full of Jews and Gentiles. Now, those of you who are new to the scriptures, the Jews were the people who were to be the, the people of God. They were supposed to be a blessing to the world. 
right? And they are culturally ghettoed off. They are a group of people who believe we are here in order to bless. We are God's chosen people. And this is true. God's given them the Torah, which is the law, the first five books of your Bible. So this is, this is a, a powerful thing. But what's happened in Jesus, and I don't have time to get into all this, but basically the dividing wall, both literal and figurative, between the Jews and everybody else has come down. Jesus said, actually, this was the plan the whole time. And if you look back in the Old Testament, you can see this coming. That God is actually going to use these people to be a blessing to the world. And then one day the doors are just going to fling open. And this is actually for everyone. Not just is it going to be one group of people who I'm talking to, to bless. I'm actually going to talk to everyone. This is the way through human history and God's sovereignty is playing this thing out. So all of a sudden, they're having trouble figuring out what it means to be right with God. Because for the Jewish people, there are all these laws. There are all these different things they had to do. Notable one, circumcision. So I'm going to just show you some pictures here of uh, stupid circumcision joke. (laughs) But this was a marker, and I don't have to get into all the explanations about why just the layers of brilliance, actually, of this particular act may seem barbaric to us. But there's actually, anyway, a long story. But for... For them, this was one of the markers. And there was all sorts of things. If you adhered to this, if you did this, if you were born of this tribe, you were in special standing with God. And you could then go and, 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 and as knowing that you were a child of God, then you lived out the law in response. Some people have this view that the Jewish faith was all about works. What can I do to earn my faith? It's actually not. If you were a Jew, you knew you were a child of God. You knew you were saved. If you were Jewish, you were saved. That's it. So actually what Paul is going to get into, what we're going to read, he isn't saying, look, you guys are trying to earn your faith. He's saying, you you want to be declared righteous. You want to prove that you really are living the life, not by who you just are as a Jew, but by what you do. So take all of that and then mount it on top of the fact that now everybody's in. It's not just the Jewish people. If you're a little confused, stay with me. This is going to be essential as we read through this. So Philippians 3, verse 1, if you have your Bibles or your iPhone apps, open them, turn them on. Furthermore, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again, and it's a safeguard to you. Paul uses the word rejoice four times. He's really, really excited. He's like, guys, get into it. Everything's changed. Get into life. The resurrection has happened. Easter is real. There's no more fear in death. Jesus is alive and reigning. And he's, he's loving and caring for you and wants you to be a blessing to the world, to see your kingdom come to make disciples. He's just like, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. 2,000 years later, this should be the reminder to us. Are we, I mean, in living in light of Easter. Watch out for the dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision. We who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and, with, and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And he goes down his list. He's saying, look, you guys think you're good by what you do. And actually, like you're just forgetting like, who you just basically are. You're trying to prove your worth. And he's like, if anybody has a reason to boast, if anybody has stuff in the, in the debit column, right, or in the gain column, right, he's using a financial metaphor here, actually, credit and, and, and gain. 
if anybody is like killing it on the religious rules, if anybody is like showing up to church, like born, like I'm a pastor's kid, I show up, I pray, I do my devos, I reach out to three people a week. I also care for the poor and kiss babies. Like the, he is the, he's the man. He is the religious like, oh, like everything. Everything is, is he has to boast in. And he's going, look out for all those people who are trying to make you fit into a bunch of religious laws as if that's what will make you like be right with God. Look out for those folks, those dogs, he calls them. Now, dogs weren't like, you know, Paris Hilton's little, that's not even a dog, right? Let's be honest. That's some sort of mutant cat. But these weren't like nice dogs. These were like, they were wild dogs. Dogs were not domesticated for the most part unless you were incredibly wealthy. Look out for those dogs, those evildoers who are trying to get you to behave a certain way as if to prove who you are. He goes, we are the circumcision, which is a really funny thing. We were thinking about putting that on the website, right? Like, welcome to Sanctuary Church. We are the circumcision. (laughs) But basically, this is, in this context, a really powerful way of saying, look, like we, this community, this in Philippi, this church, was full of Gentiles and just Romans of all different stripes and Jews are saying, hey, we all together are God's kids. We are all together God's kids. And he goes on from there. I'm gonna reference back now from the scripture. I'll go back and forth from the scripture as we go through our notes here. So with that as a context, it took a little longer than I'd hoped, but hold that context. And I wanna actually ask us a few questions in light of where Paul is about to go. I want to pull up a quote for you. I realize that for many of us, even in a room full of, I know there are a lot of folks who are in their 20s and 30s in this room, but this for me started very early on in my 20s, and and I think it's especially poignant with those who are maybe middle-aged or older, is we get these moments, right, in our job, in our work, or in our family, like, is this all that there is? Is this it? Is this all God has for me? Or some of us, we sort of put our blinders up because we actually don't want to ever ask that question. And we sort of numb ourselves. And we wait till the very end of our life till we're on our deathbed and then go, oh my gosh, I never asked the question, is this all there is? Uh, A writer of a book named Present Perfect, he says this, in the youth-worshipping culture of the West, some who can afford it Fight with, relent- fight with the relentless march of time with Botox, facelifts, tummy tucks, breast enhancements, and an assortment of other anti-aging techniques. Others try to desperately hold on to their glory days by dreaming about their wonderful past. Reaching middle age and disappointed with their life, some try to actually go back and relive their glory days. It's called a midlife crisis, and it often causes tremendous pain for family and friends. The fear is not just that we're going to die. The fear is that we'll actually never live. Is this it? When people are confronted uh, with this, they usually respond in a few different ways. One, they respond uh, when, and with this question with a place of no vision, like just despair. And they just perish. They perish. They just kind of hang it out, right? Mark Twain said once, uh, most men die at 27. We just bury them at 80. Yeah, Mark Twain is a really happy guy. But some people just have no vision. We just despair. We just realize, and some of you, this isn't a joke. Like you actually struggle with this on an existential level. Like this really is going to be all that there is. Two, scattered vision. 
Uh, they go mad trying to experience everything all the time. I've been guilty of this. Like, I will, like, Instagram everything, blog everything, proving, like, that there is, like, such a wonderful life out there. And I kind of, I'm everywhere. Like, everything is beautiful, and there's, like, a scattered sense of vision for my life. And in the name of trying to soak up the life of every moment, I can sometimes slip. And many of us can sometimes slip into this. The way I hide my despair is just sort of being constantly busy. And moving around. Three would be a wrong vision. A wrong vision is we find something, we give everything to it at the neglect of everything else, and then all of a sudden we realize how one-dimensional we are. I'm meeting more and more people who are killing it at work, who would make you feel just, just, you would be jealous in every way of where they are at, and they're talking to me like, what good is it for me to be killing it at work, and my kids hate me. I don't even know my wife anymore, and I'm thinking of, like, just leaving. Like, I, 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 like meeting people more and more who are just struggling. It's not even sometimes so severe. It's just like, why aren't I not happy right now? This is killing me. Everything is in its right place, or so it seems. My guess is that there's something in most of our hearts on some level where we go, this can't be all that there is. We as a church... Um, after spending some time with a, a church in New York, Trinity Grace Church, we, we adopted this verse that had been so central to them, and it has shaped us deeply. It's a verse in Habakkuk where the prophet goes, Lord, I've heard of your fame. So I've heard of all the good things you've done. He says, I stand in awe of your deeds, of every beautiful, powerful promise I've read about in Scripture and saw in the early church. He's like, I've heard about all this. He goes, um, renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. So at that point, he's like crying out, just saying, God, I want those things now. There's a longing, a longing that says this cannot be all that there is. And let's be honest, you are not going to drift naturally into meaningful spiritual life. You're not going to just naturally wake up one day and just be like, I got it. I got it. I know what I'm doing. I know where I'm at. I'm like living for the moment. I'm keeping the resurrection front and center, right? Like we talked about at Easter, like our memory, are we remembering what God has done for us? Are we embedding ourselves in the life and then in the family of Jesus that we would be reminded that that would affect our life? So given that you're not gonna go just drift into this, I actually wanna address a couple things that I think are the things that get in the way. And I wanna call these out because I think they'll be helpful for us to actually drill down and find out what prevents us from taking hold of the promises and beauty of God? What prevents us from where Paul's about to go in this text to talk about, I consider everything else garbage. I consider everything else worthless in light of what Jesus has. Even my own religious status, I consider it all worthless because of the life and vision of Jesus. That's where Paul's about to go. By the way, the word garbage in the text is the Greek word skubalon which the real equivalent is, no, everyone's just afraid to print it in their Bible, is the, the S word. I'd say it now, but I think there's a podcast and then someone will listen to it and they'll get in trouble. But th- literally, this is a strong Greek word. Paul is swearing here. Like, I consider everything else compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. This is where we're going. What are the things for us that get in the way of that vision and that pursuit and that drive and that desire and that, that just centeredness on the resurrection. One, I think there's a cultural tension. Everyone is busy. This is like the understatement of the year. Everyone's busy and we cannot slow down. We will not be able to keep up. 
If we slow down, I'm not going to get the promotion. If we slow down, I'm not going to like, get the grade I need on the final. Right? How many Brown and RISD, JWU, URI, PC kids are here today who like are in the mid, you guys are right in finals, right? Are about to enter into the fire. Yeah. Like, these are these moments where if I do, I mean, I can't slow down. That's cute, Pastor, that you're mentioning slowing down, but that's not going to happen. There's a cultural tension. Most of us are not prepared for what it takes to be intentional with God. Culturally, we are not prepared to be able to do things like this. Is this it, this life that we say we want to live with God? Is this it? Um, Paul goes on. If uh, Actually, you know, I'm going to skip that. We, he tells us, sorry, <laughs> in looking at the cultural tension and looking at the distraction, we see Paul addressing a second issue here. Where he says, again, if someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And he goes through his list. I don't want to miss out, so my job is to cram life full of religious observance. Even religion can get in the way of a pursuit of God. Paul says, I could have leaned in, and actually I did for years. I persecuted Christians. I was a Pharisee amongst Pharisees. I, I was the guy. I did all of this. I pursued and chased, and I realized all of this stuff that normally you would count in the gains column is actually credit. It's actually loss. It's actually not good. We can actually become enslaved to religion in the same way we can become enslaved to success. We have to resist this. He talks about in another place in Philippians, I have often told you before and I tell you again, set your mind on the things of, of God, right? Don't set your mind on earthly things. And when, when he's saying this, it's not just like don't set your mind on, and then we usually insert if you've grown up in the church, like don't get too drunk, like don't have too much sex. Like, you know, we, we kind of insert the like typical moral sins. Like he's literally calling into question what is your value system? If you're going to have any sense of being able to resist the natural cultural flow of pushing us into a life outside of the way of Jesus, a life not focused in on the beauty of the resurrection and life with God, if you're becoming enslaved to religion or becoming enslaved to your own success, right, he's, he's literally saying you need to actually begin to set your mind on things that truly matter. I was at a conference in Nashville this last week, this thing called Q, think like TED Talks for Christians. It was, it was actually really amazing. But a number of people pointed out something fascinating. Uh, at one point, uh, they were having a discussion about marriage and calling. So how do you as a couple navigate uh, the callings on each other's lives? And how do you navigate it when you both have different callings and when you're really distracted and all that comes with marriage? And so Gabe Lyons uh, invites out Carrie Underwood and her husband. I can't remember his name. Uh, Carrie Underwood's a Christian, and they sat down and they started to talk about it. What's interesting, even in a room full of some of the Christian leaders I respect the most are literally in this room right now. The applause meter, like if we had a volume level, it like, just before this, there was an Israeli um, woman and a Palestinian man who were talking about reconciliation. Yeah, epic, beautiful. And not that people weren't excited about this, but Carrie Underwood shows up and it's like the meter goes like, <laughs> people are like, yeah, look, famous person who's a Christian. And that's, that's what I think is going on inside people's heads. And I only say that and that when we talk about setting our, our minds on earthly things, 
Are we caught up in a culture of celebrity? I jokingly mentioned Mad Men, but Corey and I a number of times have said, okay, there's this line between just great art and we're putting a bunch of junk in our head. It's actually not helpful for me. I actually need to know when to step away. Now, we all have freedom. I'm not, like, going to mandate some things that you should look at or not. But honestly, is our mind set? Where do we focus most of our energy? Is it success? Is it fashion? Is it getting ahead? Is it, for those of you who, there's a lot of artists and creatives in this room. Like, what does it mean to set your mind on the things that truly matter and then backfill everything else? Backfill everything else. Identity. We get obsessed with earthly things and we make that our identity. What we need, I'm going to kind of wrap up with this last section here. What we need is a transformative encounter with the love of Jesus. This is ultimately what we need and this is what Paul gets. This is what Paul has. I am not here to tell you to do more stuff. I'm not here to tell you to like follow along with your devotions more closely. I'm not here to preach another sermon at you about more self-effort. And if you just get these things together, then things will fall into place. No, I'm here to tell you we actually as a community need continually but a fresh encounter with Jesus. Paul says in verse 7, but whatever were gains to me, all that, that list, he says, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith, trusting who you already are, right, in Christ. Paul has a powerful encounter we read about in the book of Acts with Jesus. It just changes everything. A Pharisee of Pharisees persecuting Christians, and he comes and he meets Jesus on the road and has an unbelievable encounter with God. Stopped dead in his tracks. This is like a, this is the equivalent of a terrorist. Like literally, Paul is a terrorist, and he comes to know Jesus. And he has this unbelievable transformation. And, and, and Paul's anticipating this, right? As he's writing this, the, the people listening, especially the Jews who are like, really, is everybody a child of God now? Can we all have this experience and encounter with God? We find Paul referencing back to Jeremiah, which is this new, this new promise that God says he's going to make with his people, which is now happening in Philippi. Jeremiah prophesied that when God restored the exiles, he would make a new covenant with the people of Israel and the people of Judah. These are the Gentiles. No longer will they teach their neighbors or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least to the greatest. Paul is recognizing that there's this fulfillment that we can have in the hope of Christ and that every believer will know him directly. Like everyone will know him. We have full access to God. And so what Paul is getting at here at the end is that the importance of knowing who Jesus is cannot be underestimated. It cannot be underestimated. Knowing the Lord Jesus Christ cannot, having this sort of this mysterious relationship with Jesus, this connection, this understanding that you don't have to do jack. God has done everything for you. You are loved. And when he says on the basis of faith, just literally having the faith that this has happened, return back, do away with all of that other stuff and, and to 
be connected with God, to say yes, to ask. The importance of knowing Jesus cannot be underestimated, but it can be underutilized. It can be completely underutilized. The one thing, I think the one thing that people most crave is to be themselves, right? It's just to be who you were created to be and anyone, that anyone would love me in spite of who I am. That you don't need to prove your place in the world. Some of you don't think you're governed by this, but I would argue if we did a deep dive, we would find out that you really are governed by this. It's hard for you to get through the day, right? We talk all the time about social media exasperates this. It makes everything worse. It's like you're in an echo chamber of just like identity, identity, who am I, who am I, likes, likes, pictures, like my career, like everything is pushing ads, like will I look like GQ model? Like like, like it it just pushes and pushes and pushes and pushes and it becomes the lens we see everything through, right? Because we've set our mind on earthly things. We haven't leaned into the resurrection and the power of Jesus and when we ask the question of like what it means to know Christ, we all go, I don't even know what it means to know Christ, that feels overwhelming. Or I don't really know if I can buy it or it seems so mysterious. Or, but that's because we're so freaking busy. We don't have any bandwidth to actually free up enough time to sit and be still. Or we act like, like if we, this happened in our marriage, like I got married to Corey once and that was great. And then I haven't actually hung out with her at all in years or spent any time just basking in all that she is and getting to know her and loving her and learning about her and spending time. I actually haven't seen her in three years and I expect to still like be in love. But this is what we do. Some of us, often, and maybe it's not three years, maybe it's just there's no rhythm in our life to actually just sit and be able to experience a fresh encounter with Jesus. Many things, Eugene Peterson says, many things can make us feel worthwhile and significant, but our deepest hunger is only satisfied when we are rightly related to God. Only our creator can give us the fullness of life we crave. Jesus' death on the cross is proof that we could not possibly have more worth or significance to God. It could not possibly. Despite our sin, our creator thinks we are worth experiencing a hellish death for. In fact, it was for the joy of spending eternity with us that Jesus endured the cross. In other words, Calvary reveals our unsurpassable worth and significance at the core of our being. This is what we long for. Paul had an encounter with love and was loved back. And when you discover love, when you discover that you love something, that you are loved, it awakens something, right? Those of you who've been in love, you know that. There's something just supernatural that happens. Paul has found someone who outloves him. We, we need a fresh encounter with Jesus, with the love and the hope of the resurrection. And at many point, most people go, Andrew, there's no way. Like, it's just not that easy. What, are you going to, like, sing a song, invite us to communion, and then it's just going to happen? Yes. I mean, I, I, I'm joking, but I'm actually, like, it's the beginning of it. But we don't have the cultural attention span. We need a larger attention span. We need to actually, like, get out of a place that's surrounded by everything that we've made, like a city, and experience the stars. You actually need to get out. Some of you may find it in nature, some of you may not, but we need to actually separate ourselves long enough. That's why that quiet workshop that, for those of you who came, that AJ was working on, I know it's been really transformative for a lot of you. 
It's been building rhythms of just slowing down and being still and listening to God. Right? This isn't rocket science. I'm not here to pitch like 10 new steps to find God. Like, are you eating with other followers of Jesus? Are you studying the scripture? Are you spending time in prayer? And are you giving somewhere? Like, these are just basic acts too, like just the life of Jesus. But when we do these things, we begin to experience and know and be refreshed and have a fresh experience. When your heart is wrapped up in Jesus, it changes everything. So in verse 13, it says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken a hold of it. He's talking about living life in light of the resurrection. I haven't like figured this out yet, but the one thing I do, the one thing I do, so I haven't figured it out. Anybody else figured it out? Has anyone figured it out? Like living in light fully of the resurrection and the gospel of Jesus. Anybody? You should be preaching. So Paul's right with you. He is, he, is, he is lockstep. I have not figured this out, but the one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This is liberating. In this very passage, Paul is not fixed on just a general calling. He knows the reasons that Jesus has taken hold of him. He knows the reasons he's experienced the love of God and what's laying before him. Do you know that? And have you spent an ounce of time trying to figure that out? Or what's next for this season for you? Everything else for Paul pales in comparison when you spend time with Jesus, when you have a reverence and a revelation of the very thing that he has for you. You know how liberating that is. All this to say... The response that we need is full surrender to God's love. I'm going to stop trying to run the world. I'm going to stop trying to run the world. I'm going to stop trying to be self-made. Like I'm actually going to live in response to God's love and let that transform me. Right? All throughout our scriptures, oh, what manner of love the Father's lavished on us that we would be called children of God. It's not that we loved God, it's that God loved us. If you sit here and we have like a moment of silence and you just try to figure out how to love God, like, all right, gotta love God. It will not work. God is the one who literally imparts his love to us that we would live in response to that. It is because of God's great love for us that we can even love him. Oh, what manner of love he has lavished on him. You do not have to worry about your identity anymore. It's lied in Christ. This is who you were meant to be, a child of God, fully alive and lit with the passion and beauty and the Spirit's guidance. And when we see our acceptance, we can't help but respond in a life of love. The mission of our life is to be transformed from ordinary providencians into passionately engaged followers of Jesus. This is their goal. This is, this is what it means to, to, to be a follower of Jesus. This is why we do this whole church thing. I never thought I would be a pastor. This is why I bother getting up and talking at you and doing this stuff and organizing things throughout the week because I actually believe a community of people can have a fresh encounter who can surrender their lives and live in response to God's love, not the cultural pressures of everything else and consider everything else garbage that we might know what life looks like and life to the full. This is Paul saying, screw everything else. Do you know what you have? There is no fear in death and Jesus is actually Lord. He's actually here and guiding you and directing you. And when we make Jesus Lord of our life, 
stuff happens. <laughs> so we sing this song, and we're going to sing this in a moment as we come to the communion table. And uh, it's an old hymn that uh, we do kind of a revamped version of it, but it just goes, my hope is built on nothing less. Right, you know the song? My hope is built on nothing less than, than my daughter's health and my happiness. Right, no. Like, my hope is built on nothing less than making sure I'm financially stable so I can make the next transition in my life. My... <laughs> My hope is built. Like, what is it for you that fits there? On nothing less than career advancement, so everything will be okay in a moderately successful Western white picket fended life. Nah, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, no all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Let's pray. Remove the temptation, God, please. I pray, I beg you. Remove the temptation that people might be feeling right now, that they have to work to earn something. Let, Lord, let us experience right here in the moment, in all of our doubt and all of our questions, let us experience the falling of your spirit. Let us experience your love. Let us experience the freedom that we have, that we don't have to fear death anymore. Lord, that you are with us and guiding us and directing us, Lord. Let us experience that we are loved and lavished in your love. That that's actually who we are. That is what is at the center of everything. We might be actually open-minded people. We want to actually be open-minded, not closed to the mystery and the possibility of a love that goes beyond just our genetic makeup. Whatever is stirring in our hearts, Lord, might we first have a fresh encounter with you that we may then ask questions about how we are steered away by culture and how we are distracted and how we make no time to bask in this love. May we first in this brief moment in this quick we're running late and we got to get everybody out of church moment right now. Lord let us actually just bask in the beauty and power and love of you. I hope is built on nothing less. It might be some categories for you just right now that you might be processing through. One, uh, some of you need to give up worldly ambition. Some of you, this is what's going on in your head. Some of you, it's your past. You have some sins. You've lied to people. There's sexual sins that's just holding you back from experiencing God. There's stuff weighs over you like guilt. Some of you have wounds, things that people have done to you. Maybe it's been even in church. You've seen just hypocrisy and hatred and things have been done to you and you actually need to surrender that because you can't control them. But you can control how you respond to this. Some of you are self-righteous. You've actually never committed any like big sin. You actually hate this part of the service because you're like, I don't know why, I like stole a fireball from the, I don't know why I went fireball. <laughs> You actually need to surrender your moral performance to God because he's not impressed. He just wants to love you. Like, let it go. You're not that big a deal. 
let's bring these things before God and might we have a fresh encounter with the living Jesus as we sing. We're gonna sing for a moment before we take communion, so let's just sing out together.